0: The Chris Sheeran
1: Show, only on YesNetwork.com. Hello everyone and welcome to the latest edition of The Chris Sheeran Show on YesNetwork.com and iTunes. You can download it for free, subscribe to it, and you can get this great quality podcast every week, and it's especially quality this week. It's the baseball playoffs. Yes. We've got a huge show. We've got three big guests, all to talk about baseball. Uh, the last two are going to talk about teams that are still playing. Our first guest is the esteemed YES Network analyst Jack Curry. Jack, thank you for joining us.
0: Chris, Lou, I, I miss seeing you guys around the studio. There, there's no baseball left. What's going on here? It's,
1: it's, it's very sad, Jack. Hot stove starts in what? Th- N- November 16th. 35 uh, days? That seems, yeah, like, so. that
0: seems like a long time away, <laughs> doesn't it?
1: <laughs> yes, but guys like, now look, none of us wanted the Yankees season to end. We all know that. <laughs> but for guys like you and guys like Bob and, and everybody in the booth and Meredith, it is a grind. It is an eight month grind from you know spring training in February and March and through the entire season. You and Bob do a tremendous job in studio, Meredith at the field. so a nice little respite for our team here at Yes. but Jack, you know a lot of the experts pick this team to finish at the bottom of the American League East, either fourth or, or fifth place. How do you you know being involved with it? every day, and doing such a great job in following the team. How do you assess this season with the Yankees?
0: It's a weird season to assess, Chris, because of what you just said, that the expectations, despite the payroll, and I know people will say, well, they have the second-highest payroll in Major League Baseball, but the expectations coming out of spring training weren't great. I don't think people thought that this team was going to make it to the postseason. Vegas had them over-under, at 81 and a half wins, so I told some friends of mine who are diehard fans. I said, "All right, go by what Vegas says. If this is an 82 win team, you need things to go right." And I thought I mentioned some of the aging players. You need some of these guys to perform, turn yourself into an 87, 88, 89 win team, and maybe you get into the postseason. Now, I'm not saying that I was a soothsayer, but in a lot of ways, that's what happened. You got a Rod's performance, you got to share his performance. The bullpen, the back of the bullpen, we knew that was going to be solid. Their rotation, though, it probably lacked the ace uh, quality. Not probably. It didn't have an Arietta or a Bumgarner. Their, Their rotation was pretty solid, and I think they gave fans a lot of things to be excited about. But Chris and Lou, the thing is, once you have the lead they had in late July, I think you change your thinking. You say, wait a second, now you've put yourself in position to do something in October So that that disappointing feeling comes with the way they ended the season, including the way they played in the wild-card game.
2: You mentioned the the lead in late July, and that was, you know, we just went off the air with Joe Girardi's uh, post-mortem press conference, for lack of a better word, uh, a little while ago on the air. And you mentioned that lead, and from the trade deadline on, the Yankees were a 500 team in August and September, one in three in October, and then lost the wild-card game. So, they, they lost that entire lead and then some. The, the Jays won the division by five games. That's a 12 game swing in 10, 11 weeks. The Yankees not making a move at the trade deadline to bolster the team in any way outside of Dustin Ackley. Joe Girardi had his answer on that. Brian Cashman had his answers on that. How do you look at that and say maybe, you know, if only the Yankees had done X? what could have been the one X factor that could have kept them in the lead if they had gone out at the deadline and done something?
0: Now, if we look at, at what they needed, Lou, I think, I think the move that could have helped them, and they did pursue it, was if they were ever able to get Kimbrel in the bullpen. Now, you can talk all you want about Price, and he ended up winning, I guess, four games or... They won three of the four games that he started against Yankees. The Yankees weren't going to do that. They were not going to give up Severino, and I'm 100% on board with that. I don't think you give up six years of a of a player's future for two months, but if you were able to get Kimbrell, and we saw how that bullpen, once you had to move Warren out, we saw how it became soft in the middle, and if you had those three guys, four guys at the end, Wilson, Batantis, Miller, and Kimbrell, i think that's the move that if they could have ever pulled that off you wonder if, if things would have been different i saw cashman obviously revealed after the season that he could have had zobrist for warren and ref snyder i think zobrist is a quality player he solves a lot of issues for you you never know the yankees may go after him as a free agent after the season i don't think i would have made that deal either i like adam warren they're still determining and deciding what they think ref snyder is so i think if there was one move at the deadline that bullpen move i i wonder if they wonder how that could have changed things
1: Jack, you brought uh ref snyder up and, and in joe's press conference he had nothing but glowing things to say about uh ref snyder uh with steven drew with the concussion and the, and the injury down the stretch he, he he had the opportunity and joe said he took it by the reins and he and he rode with it and he, he played Pretty well down the stretch for the Yankees, hit some monstrous home runs, too. Uh, how realistic, though, do you think, and Joe wouldn't, you know, hedge his bets with Ref Snyder or the second base situation moving forward. Uh, he keeps that stuff close to the vest, as he should. But how realistic do you think his chances are to be the everyday second baseman for this team?
0: Uh, Chris, it's a great question. I was having this quest, uh, this conversation with John Flaherty uh, when we covered our final game, the wild-card game. Can you be comfortable with Ackley and Ref Snyder as your second base platoon next season? My answer to that quickly is yes. Comfortable, I think you can. But the way the Yankees have sort of viewed Ref Snyder and how he didn't really get a chance until late in the season after Drew's injury, I'm not sure that the organization believe that, so they will tell us in this off season if they go out and get a second baseman, or if they think that they potentially have the answer right here. It was a small sample size what we saw of Ref Snyder, but to me, he looks comfortable in his at bats. We had heard that the defense was shaky. He had a couple of situations once where he didn't really handle a rundown well. Another time, he was late with a tag on a play. But overall, I, th- I thought Ref Snyder was very solid and. For an organization that has talked a lot about going back to youth and infusing some youth into the team, you you can do that there. But, guys, also one of the questions that Joe was asked in his post as you guys talked about, is second base might be the only place where they can, quote, upgrade because they really are obligated at just about every other position so do they see that as the spot where they can make a little bit of a splash? And whether it's a, a Zobrist or a Howie Kendrick or if there's a move they can make trade-wise, look at what they did last year. I mean, none of us had D.D. D. Gregorius on our radar. So I think it's up to Brian Cashman and his front office to determine how they feel about that position.
2: Here's an interesting hypothetical, Jack, coming off that. Because you mentioned Zobrist you know, in the last couple of your answers now as well. He's also a guy that can play the outfield, a little bit of shortstop. Dustin Ackley may be destined to be a little bit of that kind of Brock Holt utility-type role with his ability to play the outfield and second and first base as well. An acquisition like Zobris, would that benefit the Yankees maybe even more than adding a more impact bat than Zobris, who's pretty good with the bat himself, but knowing that you know he can play second base and then on a day where uh, you're facing a tough left-handed starter, and one of Ellsbury or Gardner might sit. He can go slide to the outfield, and you still have somebody in to play second base.
0: Yes. One well, of the answer to your question is yes. And it, it amazes me, and I've covered baseball for a long time now, but God bless Ben Zobrist that he didn't lose the versatility that I think most players have when they are 14, 15, 16, and you're going to play baseball and wherever they put you, you're just going to play. But you look at somebody like a Zobrist or a Brock Holt. I remember having a conversation with Joe Girardi this season where he said an organization almost has to target a kid and say, make this kid into your Brock Holt. Make, give a manager somebody who is his security blanket and does exactly what you just said, Lou, a guy that you can move all over the place. And when I was talking to Girardi about this, he said you'd probably have to start out with somebody who was a shortstop and then take that guy who was a shortstop because if he can play shortstop, he can play anywhere else in the infield. And if he can play shortstop, you assume he can catch a fly ball and play the outfield. That's what makes a guy like Zobrist or a guy like Holt so valuable. So, yes, I agree with you that when you're you're analyzing your situation and you look at somebody like Zobrist, you are – giving him higher grades because of what he can help you solve at, at various positions.
2: That's almost like what Jose Perella maybe was intended to become as well. I mean, the unfortunate incident in spring training with him playing center field, maybe sideline that, but there you go. I was at
0: that game and and you're right. He went all out for that ball, but maybe I I don't want to, I don't want to criticize the kid too much, but maybe that play showed you that that experiment in the outfield wasn't going to work. And, it's not. An, it's not the easiest thing to do, as I said. I think a lot of a lot of growing up. You, you, you would seem to think that kids would move from position to position, but now there's a lot of specialization. There's kids who don't even pick up a bat because maybe they're pitching and there's a DH. So I don't want to go off on that rant or that tangent, but I do think versatility will be a big deal. I mean, one thing that I've been touting, and I I know I'm I know I'm not alone in this, but I just can't see how they don't have Greg Bird on this roster next yeah. year. And I would see if <laughs> Greg Bird could catch some fly balls in the outfield. I would give Greg Bird some reps at third base to see if he can. I'm not saying he's going to play 60 games at third right. base, but could you stick Greg Bird over there for 30 games? If there's some way to get him at bats at other positions, so suddenly you're maybe putting four into three, four guys into three spots, and when two of those or those three players could be Teixeira a-Rod and Beltran, who you're going to give some rest anyway, suddenly Greg Bird has 350, 400 at bat. Yeah,
1: he gives you the versatility, and I think he's proven that he belongs up here, Jack. That's a tremendous point. And one of the things, another thing that Joe Girardi brought up in his press conference, and it was the resting of players. You know, this guy gets a day here, another guy gets a day there. He really did, especially with the bullpen. He, he even asked the media at one point, he said, how many pitches did Dellen have last year and this year? He said he had five more pitches this year than he had last year. So he really he, he takes a lot of heat for the way he changes pitchers left and right and whatever and, and gets specialists out there to get get guys out. But when a push comes to shove, you look at the numbers, you look at the stats, that bullpen was not overworked. Maybe down the stretch they were out there a little bit more than they they should have been, but their overall numbers, they weren't overworked. Now as far as the... Position players, the guy that really comes up here, Jack, and the guy that's supposed to be the spark plug for this offense, and and I've been a huge proponent of this guy since 2005 is Brett Gardner when he was down in Staten Island. But uh, Mark Feinsand of the Daily News brought up a great point. He said, you know, for a two-month stretch, and it started when Gardner was still hitting the ball and and having a, a good stretch, he wasn't stealing you know, Joe Girardi brought up the fact that he wasn't getting on the last two months of the season, and, and that's one of the main reasons why he wasn't being able to steal, but he had the green light. That is really something that is paramount for this team, for its offense, to, to keep clicking. And is that something, you know, Girardi brought up that he's going to have to talk to Gardner and Ellsbury about this in the offseason, but is that something you see besides the offense not being what it was the first four months over the last two months? Is that another problem
0: that, this, that has to be rectified moving forward? No doubt, and I think Brett Gardner, and I'll I'll answer the stolen base part of it in a second, but I think Brett Gardner as a whole, he became a question mark for the Yankees in the second half, because you look at those numbers, and it's not the old small sample size, and you say, what happened? This guy had a good enough first half to make the All-Star team. He's hitting 300. He's showing you some power, and then what happened in the second half? And I guess the one theory that a lot of people throw out there is he plays the game hard, does does he wear down and that's something the Yankees have to sit down in a room and get all their smartest people and their their medical people and their trainers and get and get Gardner involved. What is it? Does he need to be a 5 day a week guy? Does he need some some days off earlier in the year so that he is fresh late in the year? Girardi, uh, Gardner talked at the end of this season, and Meredith was part of that interview, and you could see that he talked about how he was going to have a hard time letting this go, and I think he's disappointed in the way that he played at the end. A couple years ago with the stolen base thing, I remember asking him about this specifically, and he said the way their offense was constructed, and at that point Cano was on the team, he said, I don't want to get thrown out with Robbie Cano at the plate now, though I understand that, if every base stealer in the history of base stealing was worried about getting, if Ricky Henderson was worried about getting thrown out when Mark McGuire was up, if uh, I can go down the list, right. you guys get my yeah. point. I think you have to have you have to have that side of you that's daring and that's aggressive. And this is a guy who stole forty nine bases one season, and right, it became absent in his game, not not there at all. So. I do think that's something the Yankees have to talk to him about and say this, this is part of who you are. And we don't know, guys, that's going on with somebody. Did he have something going on in his legs or, or a tweak that he knew how to best prepare himself? And he said, if I need to play 50 of the next 55 games, a stolen base here isn't as important as being out on the field. We don't know that. But the fact that Girardi didn't bring up any injuries means that it was Gardner's decision to not go.
1: Yeah, he he did bring that up. He said there were no injuries. He said Brett always said he was okay, he was good to go. But this is a guy, I've talked to minor league coaches all the way up when he played Jack, and this is a guy who everyone, it's not just one coach, it was multiple coaches who said, that guy will run through a wall for you, and you know he played a bulk of the games. And Girardi brought up the point, and and you, like you said, you've covered this game for a long time. Girardi brought up the fact that speed guys wear down first. How, how how much have you seen that throughout the course of you covering the game?
0: Yeah, and you look at it this year. I mean, both Ellsbury and Gardner, they were as dynamic a one-two as you could have at the top of your lineup as anybody in baseball. And then to see the way they fell down and. I mean, even when, you, even when the Yankees signed Ellsbury to his contract, and, and Ellsbury is a dynamic offensive and defensive player when he's right, but you hear a lot of people talk about giving that amount of money to speed guys. Carl Crawford, when he signed oh, yeah. his contract yeah, 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 yeah. and leaving the Rays, a lot nope. of people say, wow, that's a <laughs> lot of money. <laughs> yeah. When you give a lot of money to a guy who uses his legs, that, that might be something that, that vanishes at some point. So, I, I think Excellent the Yankees example. Do have some, yeah. They... they they have guys who are going to be in their positions. We know Ellsbury is going to be the center fielder. Unless they make a trade, because Gardner doesn't have a no trade, Gardner is going to be their left fielder. So now it's incumbent upon them to figure out, okay, why did these guys struggle? Were there some injuries? As I said, do they need to make a guy like Gardner a five-day-a-week guy? Those are questions that they'll have to answer in the off season.
2: And these are two guys that have won – Won or, or tied for the win in stolen bases in the league three times in the last five years, and you, you get nothing out of them. But one thing you mentioned, you know, talking about the, the speed issue and veteran fallback, in Girardi's press conference, he was asked, I think it was also Mark that asked him this question. If this team stays intact, which really they look like they're going to because the big free agents are Drew and Young and Capuano— What makes him think this team can be appreciably better next year? And he mentioned about, you know, having everybody. And Mark Teixeira missing for the last six weeks of the season. It's big. And the Adam Warren thing with the bullpen we talked about earlier killed him. But what happens on the other side, Jack, if next year A-Rod shows that he's 40 to 41 years old and instead of hitting 33 homers and 85 RBIs, he's back to... 17-70, and 70, like he was in 2012, I think it was. What happens if that leg injury causes to Sherry to be a little more hesitant or, or however you want to look at it, and his numbers don't quite coincide with what he was on pace for, or Beltran, ETC, then, then what happens if that becomes the mantra next year?
0: I 100% agree with you, Lou, and that's why when we all gather in Tampa mm-hmm. in, in the middle of February, Teixeira and A-Rod were a question going into 2015. There'll be a question going into 2016 because I don't have the numbers in front of me, but they can combined for what, close to 70 homers and about 160 RBI? 64 homers, yeah. Do you believe that they can do that again in 2016? I don't think the Yankees know that. and I think they're banking on it. I think they're hoping that they can. I will say this, with Teixeira... That was such a freak injury that I do think that he'll come back next year and be close to the same guy. Alex Rodriguez really stalled in the last portion of the season. So did his body have a, a four- to five-month burst in it, and, and he was so ready for that, and then did his body kind of give in on him? I mean, one of the most astounding numbers of the year, even as a DH, Alex Rodriguez played in 151 games. I mean, yeah. who, who would have believed that? <laughs> yeah. But I think in turn to what I would say to you, Lou, and maybe the Yankees are having these conversations is, I'm sure they're saying, we've got to get more out of Gardner. We've got to get more out of Ellsbury. We've got to get more out of Headley. Uh, Gregorius really had a nice first season for them. He should get better. So I think they're looking at the reasons to believe that things will be better. McCann should be better than a 200-hitter in the off season. But this is why baseball is, is wonderful, because we could have this conversation a month from now, two months from now, three months from now, and we're not going to know until the players actually get out there and start playing the game,
1: uh, Jack. A lot of fans, especially down the stretch, you know, they would raise an eyebrow. Now, in a National League Park, I'm going to bring up the the, the Mets series at City Field. In a National League Park, I, I get why Alex isn't out there, and Joe doesn't want to risk getting him hurt at third base or first base or having something go, you know, mm-hmm. off the wall with him on the field. Uh, so, obviously, he doesn't play unless he he pinch hits. But a guy like Brian McCann, and I'll take you back to that Friday night game, the first game that the Yankees lost to the Mets in that series, you're, you're in September, every game counts, you're chasing the Blue, Blue Jays, and I know it was a day game the next day after a night game, but a lot of the, you know, those ubiquitous Twitter voices we always hear. <laughs> The eggs. (laughs) Twitter eggs. Yes, the Twitter eggs. But a a lot of the fans – now, I don't completely maybe agree with some of the things they said and some of the the, the vitriol they have for Girardi all season long. But, you know, even I would raise an eyebrow uh, that maybe your best lineup isn't out there. And I know he's trying to get guys a day. But if I had – and I don't knock this guy a lot. But if there was one knock – Maybe that would be it, like down the stretch. If you don't have your best guys out there, you're not going to have that one-game wild card. You're not going to be in the postseason. What do, you, what do you think about
0: that? I'll try and explain it this way, and this is what I've got from sort of both asking Joe these questions and then listening to him answer it or answer it to other people. I think Joe Girardi, and you heard him today. Let me, I'll put it this way. When he talked about Dylan Batantis and how right. he had a card in his locker, and he knew Dillon's innings and pitches from last year month to month. I think Joe Girardi goes into, and whether it's a week schedule or he looks ahead 10 days or two weeks, and he has a certain way that he's decided that he's going to do things. And then I think for the most part, he sticks with that. So the, the game that you just referenced, Chris, I think in his mind he was saying, I'm giving McCann a day off. He needs it. And he's not thinking, wow, Yankees, Mets, the importance of this game, need a win. I think that's how he decides to manage that if i'm going to give these guys days off i'm going to have to stick to my plan even if that guy hit 3 home runs the day before does it leave you open for criticism absolutely is is it definitely the right move not necessarily i mean you heard joe say it today that tug of war of maybe having to give a guy off when he's 12 for his last 25 or 26 or, or however he said But I do think that the whole idea, and I go back to Joe Torrey, and he said this a lot, putting your best lineup on the field, and that's what you said, Chris. And sometimes when you're in the midst of chasing something or hunting down a spot and you don't have your best lineup on the field in part because it's to give somebody rest, yeah, sometimes that's tough to stomach. Well,
1: that that's the one thing – that that's another thing that I like about the guy is that he's consistent. The way you brought it up, he looks at chunks of games and he puts those guys into the positions he wants to put them in, and if he thinks they need a rest, that's what he does. So it's not like he just comes up with it. He does it all season long. And another point I just wanted to hammer home here, and I know Yankee fans don't want to hear this because, you know – Mr. Steinbrenner put out there that it's win the World Series or the season is a failure. I I don't think you could look at it this season that way. I really don't think you can. And I think Joe Girardi gets a a bum deal. Uh, For the past three seasons, I know they didn't make the playoffs the the previous two in 2013 and 2014, but he really, and and my dad used to say this to me all the time, especially when I played sports, you know, you can make chicken salad out of you-know-what and I think Joe Girardi chicken, you know what, you know what I'm <laughs> saying, Jack. But I think Joe Girardi has had done that in twenty thirteen and twenty fourteen, and he took a team that wasn't supposed to sniff the postseason and got them there this year. I, I think that should count for something. Whereas you look at a team like the Astros, who are now in the ALDS, they beat the Yankees, but they went through three hundred lost seasons. Is that something the Yankee fan wants? I mean that that's my point.
0: You know, I was having that discussion uh, with my wife last night, actually. We were talking about the Astros, and she's a baseball fan, but she doesn't read Baseball America. So she said to me, (laughs) where where did the Astros get all these good young players from? And I explained the whole draft process. And this is not to rag on the Astros. They're a great organization. They deserve everything they've accomplished. But I sort of was making the point that you're alluding to right here is it's not easy to be in the Yankee organization and say, oh yeah, you know what, we're going to lose 90 games this year. I right. think you've heard members of their organization, whether it's Brian Cashman, Randy Levine, Hal Steinbrenner. That's not something that the Yankees are, are looking to do. And, and to your Girardi point, I agree. I had a handful of people asking me on Twitter, would Girardi be back next year? And I, I, did, I wasn't answering any of them. It and makes then finally no said, oh, sense. i to answer some of these people, and my answers were yes. It, yeah. it just makes yeah. no sense. Right, I wasn't. I wasn't going to give any any elaboration to the fact that yes. Now, do I think Girardi had his greatest season as manager? No, I think there were some moments in the last month right. of the season with the bullpen, especially. Right. I think he. I think he lost trust in some of those guys in the pen, so I think he was searching for answers. That's what managers do; they search. And a lot of times, I think managers, when the when the the games become tougher. I think smaller sample size becomes what you go with. I mean, who who saw Rob Snyder starting at second base in the wild card game? Right when in September, he was basically a bench player, a guy <laughs> who just got called up to observe. So, right, I, I agree with you. And and I I will go back to this though, Chris. I was thinking about this this morning. Even though George Steinbrenner when he when he set that mandate, he set the bar so high. In covering the Yankees, I can never not have that in my head because (laughs) I recall the Yankees winning in 96, how glorious everything was, so many wonderful stories that were part of that team winning a world championship. I can recall them losing to Cleveland in 97, going to Yankee Stadium to do the the exit interviews, Mm -hmm. guys packing up and everything. And the day after they lost, there was a guy, one of the maintenance workers, who who was painting over the sign at the stadium that led down to the press room that said 1996 world champs. Wow. So I re- that was the lead to my story in the Times that day. I remember <laughs> that George Steinbrenner was a if we don't win, then we got to figure out a way to do it next year. So I I still have that in my head even though I know it's unrealistic especially now with with the way the the game is it's baseball has become more of a game of parody. And, hey, and that yeah. was Bud Seelig's pursuit. And, and that's what we see now.
2: Which is what makes it even more, you know, amazing, great, whatever adjective you want to use it. There's kids who are graduating college last year and this year have never seen a losing
1: Yankee season. 23 straight winning oh. seasons, 18 playoff appearances, seven World Series appearances and five titles. That's a pretty good run. Considering <laughs> <if you laughs> that's,
2: were, a, <laughs> that's a hell of a quarter century. Co- right considering, there, yeah. considering if you were a Yankee fan.
0: In the eighties. <laughs> well, I like the I like the way Lou just phrased it. Right. Think of the generation of fans who haven't witnessed a losing season. Right. Or think of kid, if you were I don't know, pick a year. When do you become a serious baseball fan? So if you were born in eighty eight or eighty nine and you're you're seven or eight years old when the Yankees win in ninety six you and know then nothing from the time, else. you're seven until whatever, twelve. Hey, they're supposed to win every year right. and then and then reality sets in that eh, it's kind of hard to, to win four in five years. I, I think I, those I do, of us yeah.
1: that were born in the uh, early 70s, such as myself, um, are very happy with hey, this last ni- 1980.
0: Crash. And I,
2: I remember watching Ricky Henderson steal bases and no one driving him in because Don Mattingly and whoever happened to show up that day was the rest of the lineup. <laughs> so I, I get it too. But, you know, that's the way it is now. Oh,
0: Jack- you're right in the wheelhouse, Lou. In <laughs> 80, gosh, you're a 16 year old kid. I, was, I was, your truck in a high school with your your Yankee jersey on after they win. You're 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 right in that wheelhouse of excitement. Jack, me and two of my friends paid over
2: a hundred dollars for tickets and row double Z in the right field upper deck for the first game of the ninety six World Series at Yankee Stadium because we had waited 12 years or more since we had become yeah. serious baseball fans to see the Yankees even in the postseason, let alone the World
1: Series. I was so. only 4-77 and 5-78, <laughs> so those don't count.
0: They don't count. No. That's right.
1: uh, but, Jack, one more for me before we let you go. One thing I, I really liked what Joe Girardi said in his exit interview there for the season, uh, someone asked him if um, they needed to go after a bona fide ace so they have somebody like that in the wild card game. And his first sentence to the reporter was, that's a dangerous way to build your team. I think the Yankees have learned uh, from giving out those lengthy contracts to 30-year-olds, especially pitchers, uh, that you just don't do that. And the guy I want to bring up, and I want to be completely fair uh, with this question, because I thought long and hard about it, and I got into a little bit of a Twitter war with our Troy Benjamin about this yesterday. But David Price... um, I, you know, when he was traded to the Blue Jays, I, I just brought up his playoff numbers. They weren't that great, and I know he, he came out of the bullpen as a rookie in 2008 with the Rays when they went to the World Series against the Phillies, and he had success out of the bullpen. He did very well his rookie season, but since then, as a starter, Jack, I mean, we have to—you you can't not ignore the numbers. He's 0-6 with an ERA close to five and a quarter. Now, without David Price, I want to say this: without that guy. The Blue Jays are not in the position they're in. They're just not. I know the, the, the lineup is ridiculous, and Donaldson had a great year, and Carnacion and Bautista, and all the way down. I mean, You could even talk about Kevin Pillar and Ryan Goins, for crying out loud, with that lineup. But as far as David Price goes, you know, Mariano Rivera was known for what he did in the regular season. But his playoff numbers, you know, they stood for themselves. And you could talk about Peyton Manning. He only has one Super Bowl. Dan Marino got there once, never got back. Kershaw. Kershaw, he has bad numbers in the postseason. I'm not saying I wouldn't go after these guys as free agents. All I'm saying, the point I'm making is,
0: you have to bring up those postseason numbers. I mean, it matters, doesn't no, it? No, I, I agree with you, Chris. You can't ignore them. And right, mentioning David Price's postseason numbers doesn't mean you're demeaning his no, not other body of work. And I look at that game yesterday, and there, there's a there's a lot of that series left. But you know that the Blue Jays. Yes, they wanted David Price there to get them to the postseason. Okay, part one has been accomplished. Well, part two was win game one of the division series, get us to the ALCS, get us to the World Series. And he was not that pitcher yesterday. He wasn't what Jake Arietta was to the Cubs.
1: That's that it, was my point. And Keuchel yeah. and the eight and nine hitters cannot be hitting home runs off of you in that first game. I'm sorry. That just can't happen if you want to call yourself an ace. That cannot happen.
0: And there's and when we talk about aces, by the way, I've said this a lot of times on the post game with Bob Lorenzen. and I understand what Joe was saying when he says dangerous. You know, everybody has a number one pitcher. But how many aces are there in Major League Baseball? Not maybe too many, ten, maybe right. Yeah, absolutely. So if you're saying, "Oh, you have to go get one of these guys," Tanaka, I think the Yankees believed he was that guy, and when he first started out, he was. He had the elbow issue. Since then, I think he has been a number one pitcher. I don't think he has been an ace. But was Tanaka the reason they lost the other night? Of course not. No, he, he wasn't. Their their offense disappeared. Right. Though so, so I think you want a bum Garner or or maybe Arietta is the bum Garner of 2015. I I do think you need to be careful, and I'm with you. I understand what Girardi was saying there. David Price is going to get what twenty five, twenty eight million, or something like that. Easy, and and what's he going to be like in five, six, seven, the seventh exactly. year? Exactly, right?
1: But uh,
2: he's he's going to be what Max Scherzer or what Albert Pujols or any of the Josh Hamilton will be in the. Last year's deal, so be an aging player making a lot of money, not worth it. What, Quite a lot honestly, of are, what the
0: Yankees yeah. are going through with CC Sabathia, right? And exactly. we all hope. By the way, let's. I'm keeping this on the field, but we all hope CC gets through his yes. bout with yeah. uh, alcohol addiction and is there in spring training. But strictly talking about baseball, the Yankees paid him a lot of money. They got a World Series, but I think they knew the tail ends of the contract. You lose velocity. You're not the same pitcher you was, you were. So you learn lessons along the way about decisions you make.
1: Jack, just I lied to you. I have one more, and it's quick. When's the last time you saw? And I know Bumgarner last year, but before him, I mean, Arietta has been downright otherworldly. I mean, this guy since August fourth. Has an ERA of I think point thirty seven. When's the last time you saw dominance like
0: that? I mean, maybe uh, just off the top of my head, maybe Hershiser in eighty eight. Okay, I, mean, I, I don't That's know fair. That, That's I fair. don't know that I could think of anybody. We, we put Mar- you're talking starters, so Mariano Rivera has had right. his own level of greatness and dominance. But right, the numbers are insane, and I'm watching that game the other night, much like you guys are, and I'm kind of chuckling because I would have been doing the same thing, <laughs> but the announcers were talking about how balls were hit hard against him that's how it's like the father pitching to the kid okay johnny you hit that one hard uh let's see if you can get a hit this time How dominant this guy has become that if a line drive gets hit to center field oh they squared one up against him.
1: jack i I gotta tell you this was a tremendous 32 minute just three-person conversation about baseball I, i i myself i know lou appreciates it as well but thanks for coming on today
0: no, it was a lot of fun. And by the way, I had a basket filled with Halloween candy that I bequeathed to the Brielle. So if you need any candy oh, nice. it's now on her desk.
2: Oh, fantastic. So we're I'll gonna have to go find that.
1: Absolutely.
0: Trick or treat, <laughs> Jack. I've, I've only been in Bob's
2: office three times this week, I swear. <laughs> so
1: that's right, his guys. fault for I'll keeping the soon. door open. All right, Jack. Thanks a lot, buddy. Bye. What more can you say about Jack I, Curry as an analyst and, and as a person? I mean, just uh, – He gave us – I mean, I, I was expecting 15 minutes. He gave us double that.
2: Well, let, let me say three things because we have such a jam-packed show that I know we want to get on. and yeah. we, we want the magic hour to be closer to the hour than 90 minutes. Yeah. L- let me say three things about points that Jack brought up with in that conversation with us that, that I think are interesting. Number one is the Greg Bird situation. Mm-hmm. I am on the opposite camp. It's one year until Mark Teixeira is is a free agent. I mean, you saw what happened with the three-game Lyle-Overbay experiment. You don't think it's going to be that. <laughs> but do you really teach Greg Bird to play? A p- he's a converted catcher, so he's caught, played first base. Mm-hmm. Hasn't caught since 2011 in the Gulf Coast League. Do you really want to teach him to have some flexibility when come 2017. He's probably your everyday first baseman for maybe the next 10-15 years. That's that's kind of a tough trade-off. So it, I don't necessarily agree. It is. I do think, however, that he could benefit from being on the bench and playing, you know, DHing once or twice a week and playing first base once a week. So maybe he only plays three games a week, and there's development to be had. But maybe for at least part of the season, that helps.
1: I I want to go into Jack's camp on that one because I think the way the offense sputtered down the stretch, and I know you're going to have a healthy Mark Teixeira back, so that mm-hmm. gives you the switch hitter and the versatility back in the lineup, which Joe Girardi didn't have for the last month. Which I I think I th- I had Jeff Quagliata yes to research and uh, Seth Rothman work on these numbers with Teixeira in the lineup. Left-handed pitchers I think were eight and fourteen. Yeah, and without him they were nine and
2: five. Or yes, something eight, like that. I saw those eight same eight and five, Yeah, yeah.
1: Yep. so. If you, if you think not having that guy in the lineup, especially against lefties, didn't matter, you're wrong. You're, you're dead wrong. So I just don't see how you could have a guy come up here. He's not Kevin Moss. No. And, and it's not a knock on Kevin Moss either. He was a major league player. He was. Yep. So I can't knock the guy. He, he made it up here, and, and he was pretty impressive that first year he came up, too. Sure was. Uh, but Greg Bird is a guy... Mm. That Lou just said, he's your everyday first baseman as soon as Mark Teixeira's contract runs out. I did hear some callers on MLB Network Radio kind of suggesting maybe the Yankees try to trade Mark Teixeira. Yeah. But not why happen. would you want to do that? You're not going to do that. If,
2: if anything, right field because of Beltran, then maybe you put him in right field once a week, first base once a week, DH once or twice, and he plays four days a week. Maybe. I, I can see yeah, that. But, yeah. But, but,
1: you, you spell Alex. Know. You put him in right to spell mm. Carlos. Yeah.
2: Point number two is what you mentioned about Betances, and I wrote this down because I looked it up and I tweeted it as soon as Girardi said it. That Betances threw five more pitches this mm-hmm. year than he did last year, and he mm-hmm. mentioned that he was shut down the last week. Yes. Once the Yankees were out of it, last he wasn't year, pitching. Right. Yeah, he threw six less innings this year. So, he threw, 90, 80, so he threw eighty-four, 84 versus this year. ninety, but he made four more appearances here. He pitched in seventy-four games versus seventy last year. This is why I don't believe in innings limits. Th- this number is why I don't believe why I don't think innings
1: limits. Are, four more are, are appearances, four more six, appearances, less, six innings.
2: less innings, five more pitches. So what's more important? Is it the innings where he's pitching too much in any given time? Is it pitches where he's throwing too many pitches? Is pitch count really the big deal? Or is it getting that arm loose? Because I, I, if, he got a, if he pitched 74 times, he probably got loose
1: 80. Yeah. And maybe
2: multiple times in
1: a handful of those 74. And let's not forget, and Jack brought this up too, uh, <clears throat> he, he walked... 10 batters in yeah. 33 plate appearances during one stretch towards the end of the season. And before that, I looked it up. It took him 91 plate appearances for his previous 10 walks. So he basically turned into David Robertson where he would load the bases and then, on, yeah. and then strike out the And side. his ERA
2: was still 1.5. I mean, Right, so, right. That's you know. what
1: Joe brought up. He's like, it's not like the guy had a 4 ERA, but he did become human, right. as Joe Girardi said. And I think, Lou, it was because the... Circle of trust, as your boy Exisa brings up TM. all the time. Mike um, Exisa. I think it was that circle of trust that Girardi just said, you know what? We need to win these games. I can't go to anybody else. I need Dell and I need Andrew. Yep. And if I need in to throw two innings or two and a third, I got to go to him and then and
2: or get four or more innings out right. of the troika in, exactly. in the wildcard game.
1: And right, Wilson,
2: that mm-hmm. that trichotomy of innings
1: versus pitch count versus Ooh, use. Look at you with the big word
2: trichotomy. I, I changed dichotomy into a word that doesn't, uh, exist. doesn't exist. But that brings me into my third point and, and something that Jack mentioned about how Joe plans maybe plans things out and knows and whatever and mm-hmm. sticks to it. That was a great point. That was a great point. However, that exactly illustrates why so many people who aren't necessarily in the know, for lack of a better right. way to put it. It, this is why you hear the binder, the binder, the binder, yeah. the binder, because there were games this year where Joe Girardi, like you said, went to Dellin for two innings, went to Andrew, needed to win this game. He managed games sometimes in July, August, June, like it was Game Seven of the World Series. He did. Come September, so then come September, like you said, why is Brian McCann not in the lineup for a night game with a See day that, game? Like <laughs> that I understand my point. with McCann, McCann is the only one I understand that way in a sense because it's a catcher, right? but your best lineup needs to be out there especially in a game against the Mets who were in first place and headed to the playoffs at that point. There was no doubt they were headed to the playoffs mm-hmm. somehow cuz the Nationals weren't coming back. You you can't manage you can't manage games like their game 7 of the World Series but then have a plan. It's not fantasy baseball where you set your lineup on Monday and you you roll with it for the week. What? There has to be a balance between that and and if I had one knock on Joe Girardi, that might be it is that he needs to find that balance. There's, you have to learn to trust. And you know what?
1: I, I think he knocked himself yeah. in that final press conference. He said, and I quote, as an organization and as me, as the manager, we need to find the optimal, optimal number of games for a player to be at his best. So he put that onus on him. He did. Right. He said, I got to find a way because Gardner did disappear in the second half. And I love that guy. And, and he, he was a ghost. Ellsbury got hurt, came back. He was a ghost. You cannot have the top of your lineup going 1-for-12 or 1-for-13 on a game-by-game basis. Right. That can't happen. And, and to that point, I'm going to bring back
2: one last thing before we move on from, from the Yankees for, for now. Way back in April, and you know where I'm going with this as soon as I say CC Sabathia-Detroit... Yeah. <laughs> way back in and April: what did I say? Way back in April, I said that's a game where when he's got that pitch count and that, this is where you leave him in and find out what he's got. And
1: what did I say? What did you say? Take him out, Take him out. Go to the bullpen. Right. You got enough out of him. Right.
2: <laughs> now, however, come September, those are situations where maybe the bullpen didn't need to be as worked as it was, or did need to be worked more than it was or whatever. You have to find that balance. In games sometimes. It's not easy. It's not. To manage a baseball team. He's got <laughs> 760 more Major League wins than I do. And, I, I he does. And, and, and every time I talk about
1: it. And he's got 25 guys. Not the same guys as we saw this year with the Scranton shuttle. And yeah, even guys 50, from Trenton coming 56. up. 56. You know, 56 guys. That's 56 different personalities you have to manage. Now, you could sit there and argue, well, he gets paid. To... Yeah, he gets paid to do it. That doesn't make it any easier doesn't make his job any easier. This is a hard job. He's got to manage these guys. He's got to be able to tell that if he goes up to a guy and say, are you all right, can you go tonight? And he goes, yes, Skip, I'm good. He's got to know that he's not telling the truth. Something's up with him. i got to sit him. And Gardner's a guy who's not going to get out. He does not want to be out of the lineup. He wants to be on the field. And he's got a lot of guys like that on this team. Chase Headley played 95% of the games at third base. He led the team in hits, probably because he played the most games on the team. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, Him and Didi were one-two. You can get on his case for the errors this year. You can get on his case for the contract that he was given. I think this guy—he's a—he's a linchpin with this offense. You could talk about Ellsbury. You could talk about Tex and Arod. Like you said, they have to come back and have similar seasons next year for this team to be uh, successful. But I think Chase Headley. He's that—he's that catalyst. Not only in the field does he have to get better, you know, he's got to go back to his Gold Glove days out in San mm-hmm. Diego. He's got to—he's got to be better at the plate. Lou. And he—he he admitted this, and, and I'm going to spoil. But he's a gamer.
2: He is a gamer, and he's a hell of a guy too. If you yes. talk to him. And let, let me say this: We have this weekend coming up on YesNetwork.com. Uh, AJ Herman and I did uh, what we're calling a series of exit interviews. We talked between the two of us, Meredith and and the Yes cameras, what they caught in the locker room and various things. Uh, I think 20 guys that are broken down into 14 interviews, It's 17 or 18 guys broken down into 14 interviews. Chase Headley will be on Saturday or Sunday. And I point blank asked him, I said, how do you evaluate, you know, you, you had the highest batting average you've had since that monster year in San Diego that now looks like an outlier. Yet you had your worst season defensively, especially the first half of the year. So I asked him, you know, balancing all that, how he evaluates 2015. And his answer was brutally honest. He said defensively, he's like, you know what? That didn't go as I I got to be better than that. Like he just flat out said, I have to be better than that. I thought I reined it in a little bit towards the end, which he did. A lot of – 75% of his errors were in the first half. Right. Um, and, and offensively, he's like, you know, I, I, I saw some positive things. I'd like more power, more doubles, more home runs. He's like, you know, hopefully that will come. But he's like, I didn't. I think his exact words were, it didn't go as I hoped, as I hope would have liked, but it never does,
1: so I have to work within that. Agree or disagree, he, he's the type of player that is going to run out there every day, whether asked to or not. And without Joe Girard... Er, er, Alex Rodriguez played two games at third, one game at first. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of other guys on that team that could play third. Steven Drew and or Brendan Ryan played Headley, 10. Between Headley them. knew that,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I think he... Not only did he need to take the bullet, he took the bullet. Mm-hmm. And, and he ran out there every day. And I think maybe Headley could have used a couple more days off. Here's here. the thing with that.
2: Could Gregorius have used a day off every now and again? Yes. And you had two other shortstops on the roster all year, one in Drew, and then one in Brendan Ryan or Gregorio Petit was there at the beginning of the year. Right. You know, he he could have could Alex have used more days off? Of course. He's 40 years old. Mm. But you saw Every time the Yankees played a road interleague series, and A-Rod was limited to either a pinch hitter or a spectator, because that's all he did he in came any back, road interleague game, and
1: the next he series. came back
2: in the next series or two and was a monster
1: right. again. The one thing I didn't like was uh, that Minnesota game. Didn't he have two homers? Three homers. Three homers. Three homers and that, that was a game. game
2: that John Ryan sent when flying right. in the game.
1: Right, and then the next day A-Rod was off.
2: Which, again, that one was... Three homers are, are not. That, that's the another instance where I'll defend Girardi's like plan. He's forty. He's forty. It's a day game after a night game, and he just had a huge game. Like, there's nowhere to go butt down from that.
1: So okay. true, true. But there are fans out there, and I forget
2: if they were. Face- I think they faced Ricky Nolasco in that game, so I don't think it was a lefty righty switch either. But you know, same thing. Murphy uh, Murphy caught McCann played the day.
1: Yeah, game. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna nitpick. I'm right. just telling you what fans came up to me and asked. Right. And I really didn't get on him then, so I'm not going to get know, on him now.
2: Again, there is optimal situations. You know, if you're facing a lefty in a night game and then a righty in a day game the next day, that's where Murphy catches and McCann, you know, catches the next day. There's ways to do it, but it's it's going to be interesting. And before we wrap up the the part one of the two part show here, I think <laughs> this is where we're going because um, we're at 45 minutes, so we can make this two shows this week. That's fine. Okay. Um, before we wrap up part one of the Magic Hour. There's going to be one interesting – we mentioned the Zobris thing. We mentioned maybe an impact bat at second base. you got Bird in the mix, whatever. Here's what interests me about what's going to happen this offseason. Other than the fact that the 40-man roster, there's a lot of hard decisions. There's a lot of guys in AAA that are – or even AA in a couple of cases that are coming up against eligibility. And you know, do you protect Ben Gamble? Do you protect Jake Cave when you've got Mason and Slade? Do one right. of those guys go? Who this came set? up and made, a trade, a, made an impact. Do you trade Gardner? All this stuff that we mentioned.
1: Before they got hurt.
2: Masahiro Tanaka has an opt-out clause in his contract after next year. Michael Pineda is into arbitration, so barring a long-term extension, he's on like a two- to three-year leash in terms of, of team control. Right. Avaldi's uh, in the same boat as Pineda. He's, I,
1: I believe, a year further ahead because Pineda missed all of 2012. How did he not come into the conversation when we talked to Jack? I mean, that was a big loss for them, too. That brought Warren back into the starting We sort rotation. of beat around it without mentioning yeah, Evaldi yeah, by yeah, name.
2: Yeah. Um, but, you know, the thing that's going to be interesting with all that, you know you have Severino, you know you got CeCe for one more year, and then as long as it's not his shoulder that causes problems in 17, or next year, his 17 option vests. So you've got him for one or two more years, whatever, you know, you want to use him in the role. Is this a team that goes out and looks at a Jordan Zimmerman, a Jeff Samarja, a David Price, a high level? Or is this a team that goes out and looks at getting someone like a Brett Anderson, who pitched well for the Dodgers this year, or someone in that tier who maybe gets because of market value versus need gets a Brandon McCarthy contract, you know, three, four years at 10 to 12 a year. The Hiroki Kuroda contract. I bring up all the time where if it was three for 48 off the bat, people would have flipped, but his one year deals. All I heard Sonny
1: Gray too, yeah. but you'd have to trade for him. Right.
2: Or is this a team that goes out and says, you know what? Three years ago, we got Freddie Garcia and Bartolo Colon, to fill in, and you know, they had the, the shuffle with them and Hughes in the four or five spots. Is this a team that goes out and tries to find two or three guys like that, like a Capuano? Not saying Cologne or Capuano specifically, but guys like that that are like, this is a four or five starter at best, a swing man at worst, and you know that way does Warren become a starter? And you go out and you look for an impact middle reliever.
1: I think if you do put you him know. back in the rotation, you need to go look for a, an. Personally, I
2: mean personally to me, from the conversations I've had with Adam, including the exit interview we did, mm-hmm. which will run this weekend as well, mm-hmm. from what we've seen this year and how we've seen him, Adam Warren should be a starting pitcher for the New York Yankees, and I think Brian Cashman agrees. He said we look at Warren as a starter, and then he went in and kind of said that the same thing this year we will stretch him out. It'll be a starter in the spring. This other. That, that, that. I kind of think that at this point now, he's, this is him. You, maybe you're better off trading him at this point. If you don't have room for him there, maybe you're better off trading him because he's got another three year, I think he's heading into arbitration for the first time this year now because he was the long reliever, uh, reliever last year in the swing. So, yeah, so three years, he's heading into arbitration. Maybe you're better off trading him too if that's going to be the case. It's, it's going to be an interesting offseason of little moves. For Brian Cashman, not necessarily major impact.
1: And you could start tracking those little season uh, off-season moves or big off-season moves on November 16th. Yankees hot Uh, stove. That is a Monday Yankees hot stove right here on Yes. See what we did there? Yeah. Synergy.
2: And I think that's going to wrap up uh, part one of a two-part Chris Sheeran show for this
1: week. The other two guests will be on part two.
2: Yes. We won't spoil who they are because maybe you listen to that first. You You can listen to it anywhere you want. They're going to go up at the same time. Exactly. It's a good good idea of you. Sometimes I got one. I'm good for one a week. So. But
1: I, I gotta once again thank Jack Curry for coming on. He he gave us a great half hour of podcast material. It was fantastic. So I thank him. We got to get him on more. Yes. Next season and in the off season and throughout
2: well. the off season. You know, we tape on Thursdays. Hot stove tapes on Thursdays. Maybe we'll get Jack up here one day and just and do that. How about that?
1: Sounds good to me.
2: How about that? I'm sure he'd be down for it.
1: All right. Let's right. Let's put a cap on the Yankee season ourselves.
2: Okay. We got 10 minutes before we reach the magic hour. Well, we'll that's fine.
1: We're, we're no, we're, no. We, could, we, could, we could let it go, as Elsa says. Put a cap on the Yankee season ourselves? You'll know all about that. Oh, see, have,
2: I, I went to the movie theater. When you have see the Frozen. kids. Oh, okay. I, didn't need, I don't even need kids. I went to see it. Uh,
1: good for you. Yeah.
2: Um, here's my cap on the Yankee season. I think they overachieved a little bit, not much. Like you said, 82 wins, 81, 82 wins in Vegas. They won 87. They won 84 and 85 the last two years. Maybe they overachieved. If they don't Im- but if they don't improve markedly next year, I think Joe is in trouble.
1: Yeah, I, I, I agree. That's my cap on I season. agree with that, too. Uh, again, I'm going to reiterate what I said to Jack. Would you rather have three 100 lost seasons while the team completely rebuilds? Well, you're never going to have that because that kind of thing will not happen in New York anymore. Right. Just, it just won't. It, it can't. It, it's the largest market in the country. Mm-hmm. But he, here's my cap, and I've said this on Facebook and Twitter and everywhere. I don't know what you know section you fall into, what group that you stomp your foot in. And there's two groups. There's the one group of Yankee fans who beat their chest and say, we have to win the World Series every year. It's a failure. Okay. I'm going to group everybody or the people into that one. Then there's also the other group, the glass half full group, which never exists when you're rooting for the New York Yankees. It's either all or nothing. But there are some people in that other group. I tend to fall in the latter group. And this is why. This team was not supposed to do anything. I know they had a seven-game lead, and Jack brought that up and said that's when all the bad feelings start rolling in. But the Yankees got Dustin Ackley, while the Blue Jays got, got Troy Tulowitzki, David Price, and, and let's not underestimate, Ben Revere. And let's
2: not underestimate LaTroy Hawkins and Mark Lowe. Ha- yeah, yeah,
1: I mean, they made a ton of moves. Alex Anthopoulos went for it. Brian Cashman... To his credit, and he deserves credit here, he didn't trade away the farm in order to go after one World Series championship. This team, with the talent they have in the minors, and I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know what their plan is for this offseason. They'll they'll make some signings. Cashman has to improve the bench. He said that himself. Mm -hmm. I just think with the talent they have in the farm system, this team, not is... But could be set up to compete for a decade. Yep. Wouldn't you rather that, as opposed to going after one World Series championship, and and put this into your pipe and smoke it, those glass half-empty fans. If Mark Teixeira doesn't get hurt, if Nathan Avaldi doesn't leave the rotation, this team doesn't win 87 games.
2: It's probably what, good. That's what, was,
1: what was Texas War that you Texas told
2: me? Texas War was like four something. So that's five wins above replacement right there. Add in Ivaldi, maybe they win
1: 92-93. Maybe they don't go 1-6 de- during the final you know, week-plus. Ivan Nova, and I know he came back from the surgery, and Michael Pineda, their last couple of starts, they, I don't mean to insult them, but they
2: weren't... I mean, Pineda was terrible in September. Let's they, just flat out say it. But the was last two starts,
0: September.
1: he had an ERA over 10...
2: Pineda was terrible in September. This against the Red Sox and Orioles. And Nova, if you take his season in two halves, the first eight or nine when he came back, and then the second half,
1: he was a much different pitcher too. And that hurt. Not having Evaldi hurt. Putting Warren back in the rotation hurt the bullpen. All these things hurt. And everybody wants to blame Joe Girardi. He did his best trying to make chicken salad at a chicken you know what. And I think, Lou, and I'll take crap for this, But I think, once again, for the third year in a row, and for the 23rd year in a row, the Yankees had a winning season. And this year, got back to the postseason. Was it one game? Yeah. But guess what? It was one more game than this team was supposed to play.
2: As Joe said, there's 10 other teams that would have loved to be in that position that weren't.
1: Exactly. Including
2: the Twins and Angels, who were so close. And the Indians. You know what? The, the The ultimate... Answer to not giving up the farm versus what the Blue Jays did, and even the Royals, because they gave up two pretty good pitchers to get Johnny Cueto, will come a little bit of immediacy next year if Toronto does not re-sign Price, and Kansas City does not re-sign Cueto, or they don't flip-flop spots. And five years from now, when Severino is five years into his major league career, Bird is five years into his major league career, Judge is three or four, depending on when he comes up, versus where Cueto is, where Price is, versus how Daniel Norris does with the Tigers and how Lamb and Finnegan do in Cincinnati. I, that's... I mean, you can still talk about... You don't necessarily know... I think we know who won the Pineda trade with Seattle, but it took a while. That's the way these things shake out. Not everything is John Smoltz for Doyle Alexander or Jeff Bagwell for Larry Anderson, but not everything is Melito Perez, Bob Wickman for Steve Sachs I think yeah. we
1: know who won the D.D. Gregorius trade, too. Yeah.
2: Hello? <laughs> You know, and Shane Green had an injury that he pitched through a he little did, bit and all that, so that, that hurts. But the the Diamondbacks really need to stop trading with the Tigers and Yankees because they don't do well. No, that's too straight that they've got hosed. They they losing do not. Max Scherzer in the first one and then yeah. losing Didi Gregorius in this one. That's, no, well,
1: okay. we're almost there, so I think we could wrap up the Yankee portion. This is this has been part one of the Chris Shearn Show here on YesNetwork.com As I go into my NPR voice with the. Unnecessary. Today have The Delicious Dish, pauses. Mr. Jack Schwetty. Uh For Lou DiPietro, I'm Chris Sheeran. Uh, much more to come on part two, but we hope you enjoyed this Yankee season ender in part one. Adios.